Transformation Now podcast, where you'll discover and be equipped with keys from the Word of God that will pave the way to God's unlimited blessing in your life. Now, here's your host, Evangelist T.J. Malkanji. Yesterday, we talked about what is dominion, and we went through the basics of the Bible doctrine of dominion and what dominion is, and simply defined, dominion is having it your way every day in line with Scripture. Dominion, simply defined, is taking control or authority over the things sent to destroy you so as to revert that thing and walk in the fullness of the blessing of the covenant that God has given you. Dominion is simply defined as taking charge of your life so that you make life line up with the Bible. Dominion is making the devil your slave instead of being his slave. Dominion is making the devil your servant, is making the devil subject to you. Instead of you being subject to him, in light of Ephesians 1, the Bible says we are the body of Christ and God has made all things subject to the body. God has made all things subject to the body of Christ. You are part of that body. And if all things are subject to the body and all things have been placed under his feet, we read in Psalm 8 yesterday, it talks about how God has given us dominion over the works of his hands, the devil being part of the works of his hands, and has made all things subject under our feet. Ephesians 1 reiterates that, that all things have been made subject to the body of Christ, all things under the feet of Christ, and you are his body, the fullness of him that fills all in all. And so if all things are under the body, and you're part of the body, then that means all things are under you. Dominion is not about receiving comfort from God through the storms of life. Dominion is not about receiving um, mental... Uh, 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 attitude checks while you get your rear end beaten and bruised by the devil. Dominion is not about getting through the storm. Dominion is not about comfort in the storm. Dominion is not about throwing Jesus out of your boat as an anchor in the storm. Dominion is about taking authority and control over the storm so that it subsides And essentially, dominion is making life line up with God's word. Hallelujah. Dominion is making making life line up with God's word. Quick recap from yesterday. Life does not give you what you deserve. Life gives you what you demand out of the word of God. God is sovereign, but in his sovereignty, the Bible says he has given you the keys of the kingdom of God that you can bind at will and you can loose at will. And that is determined by you. Life is not determined by the devil. The devil has no ability to determine the outcome of your life. The devil can lie to you so that you believe his lies and deceptive tricks so as to lead you down a dark tunnel paved with thorns and thistles and every other unfortunate thing. But you can also choose today to believe God's word concerning you. And in believing it, you confess it so as to come off that dark and broad way that leads to destruction, and come into that narrow way that leads to life, the Zoe, the life of God. 
and the life that God's planned for you to have. Just because God planned and has thoughts for you to prosper and be in good hope, thoughts to bless you and thoughts not to harm you, just because he has plans to do those things, Jeremiah 29, 11, it doesn't mean those things are automatically going to be fulfilled or just pan out haphazardly or randomly. Or that people that enjoy that type of life, it's just because they're lucky or it's just because God, you know, God blesses whom he chooses to bless and God curses. no. God blesses those who approach him in faith and by faith confess and declare his word over the circumstances that they may be going through. God blesses, God's blessing is not random. God's blessing and God's power is not reserved for those who he sees fit. The Bible says that he has prepared a table for all. That he, when he, uh, in that parable in Luke chapter 19 or 20, it says that he made a feast and he prepared a table with his choice blessings on that table. And he commanded the servants to go out and tell the people, all things are ready. All things are ready. The food is made. The bread's been set. It's been sliced and diced. The meat is on the table. The blessing has been set. All things are ready. Come and dine. So God's blessing is not just for a reserved select few of individuals that he sees fit to bless. This dominion lifestyle is not just for apostle, prophet, pastor, evangelist, teacher. This dominion lifestyle is for those that are going to drop the religious traditions, drop whatever misconceptions they've had of life that just life is a random series of events and you just got to take it as you go. This dominion message and blessing is for those that are going to take their chair and position at the table of God, drop any type of religious misconception and misconstrued teaching and start to believe God at face value from his word. Hallelujah. We talked about in Genesis 1.26, God said, when he created man, let them have dominion. I want you to write that in the comment section again before we move on into today's, into today's uh, broadcast. But I want you to write down in the com comment section, I have dominion. I have dominion. I have dominion. I'm not trying to get dominion. I'm not waiting for Jesus to die again so I can have dominion. I'm not waiting for him to come back before I have dominion. I have dominion. I have dominion. So if I saw someone write, is there any scriptures for this? You can go into my broadcast on Tuesday. I went through about 100 scriptures that you can take to the bank and cash those in. So simply put, recap and summary from yesterday's broadcast. There are things that will challenge you in life. There are things that will confront you in life. And what you refuse to confront will continue to conquer you. What you refuse to resist will, will have a right to remain in your life. But when you decide to stand up, when you decide to manifest your sonship as a child of the Most High God and realize that the devil is not the master over you, that you are actually a devil master by reason of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, then life will begin to change for you. Things will, be, will start to turn for you. The devil's only trickery he's ever employed from the dawn of time till now has been the trick of deception. You understand the devil, the devil 
makes up for himself titles that do not accurately depict who he is or what he carries in terms of power. The devil has always made up. He's the father of lies. He lies about his own self. There's a lot of Christians that have bought the lies of the enemy concerning who or concerning the titles he has attributed to himself that are simply not true. There are some Christians that believe the devil to be omnipotent, that the devil's all-powerful, that the devil holds all power and all strength in his arm, that he can do whatever he wants at any given time, and we are just in his, we're in his little ring of life, and so there's nothing we can do. We live in a fallen world. The devil's a master of this fallen world, and there's nothing we can do about it. There's some people that truly believe that he's omnipotent. He's not omnipotent. He'd love for you to believe that because as long as you believe these false titles that he has attributed to himself, he'll continue to harass you relentlessly and unreservedly. There's some people believe, that believe him to be omnipresent, that he's everywhere at all times. We can't seem to escape him. It's funny because you have 150,000 churches on Sunday morning all around the world that are binding the same devil. He's not in 150,000 different places. He's in one place. You know how I know this? Because when Elijah was on Mount Carmel and he was contending with the prophets of Baal and Ashtaroth, remember what he said. He said, where is your, where is your God? Where is your, your, your Baal? Where is your God? Where is your devil? Has he gone on a distant journey? And he began to mock the prophets of Baal and mock Baal himself. Who's, who is the devil? He began to mock. Elijah wasn't holding back. No, we're not going to mock the devil because we don't want him to hear us because if he hears us, he might come again. He wasn't caring about that. He understood his dominion over the devil. He understood. And he, he even under a worse covenant, understood that the enemy is no match for one who has the Holy Ghost upon and we have the Holy Ghost within us. So he began to mock. Where's your God? Notice how... The fire never fell. You know, it's funny because the devil does have some level of power to do some sort of supernatural, you know, tricks that he uses to deceive people. The Bible says that the Antichrist will actually work his works by the deceptive lying signs and wonders of the power of Satan. The power of Satan working lying signs and wonders. So the devil can perform some sort of lying signs and wonders. So when Elijah was mocking the prophets of Baal, if the devil truly was omnipresent and was there on that mount called Carmel, he could have surely have levitated the carcass that they had slain for the sacrifice that they were making. He could have surely have caused some sort of spark and fire. Why, why didn't none of that happen? Because he wasn't even there. He's not omnipresent. Stop thinking of the enemy as being everywhere at once. There's some people who haven't won a soul in 20 years who think that they are being attacked by Satan himself. No, the devil has other things. He's probably in like Syria or something. He's probably in, in Israel. He's probably somewhere else. I'm pretty sure he's not on your back. But he loves to pitch himself in this grandiose style where he gets people to believe that he is something he truly is not. He gets people to believe that he has the attributes that are reserved only for God himself. And when people believe those lies and, buy them, and bite on it 
hook, line, and sinker. He's gotten right where he wants. He actually doesn't even have to strike. He actually doesn't have to do anything. What you believe, you're, you're, you're empowered to experience. What you expect, you'll experience. So if you, if you believe that the enemy does have the ability to afflict, influence the direction of your life, guess what? He'll actually back up. And you yourself, because of your false beliefs and this faulty system of falsehood that you've adopted, because, simply because of that, you, you'll actually navigate your own life off the path of blessing and onto a path of cursing. So the devil has no power, he has no authority, but he has the ability to lie. And when you buy his lies, that's when you come off course. So what is dominion? Dominion is essentially locating the truth of God's word, taking action based on that. And like Elijah on, Mount, on, um, on the mountain when they sent the 50 to come and arrest him, the captain and the 50, Elijah got up and said, if I be a man of God, I know who I am in Christ. I know what I have. I know, I know who I belong to. I know what power I have been given and I know your limitations, and I know that if I be a man of God, if I'm not a man of God, you can arrest me and take me to Ahab to kill me. But if I be a man of God, he rose up and said, let fire come down and consume me. And that's exactly what happened. He understood his position. So what is dominion? Dominion is simply having it your way every day and subduing the opposition under you. Day two, who has dominion? Who has dominion? I want to start off reading Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. Who has dominion? Luke 15, 11. And a certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided them his livelihood. Not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. That's what sin does. Sin will bankrupt you. Sin might start off nice. Fleeting pleasure of sin, the Bible talks about in Hebrews chapter 12. But it's a fleeting pleasure. It's a season that will end. And then when that season ends, the nature of sin reveals itself, and the nature of sin impoverishes the nature of sin bankrupts the nature of sin corrodes anything it touches that's what happened he saw he saw the nature of sin right there he began to be in want he began to be in lack everything the devil promises you he brings you up very quickly and then he drops you on your face the higher you go with the devil the harder the fall will be he began to be in want then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country he lost his independence then he went into the fields to feed swine. He went from being a king's son to a pig feeder. And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate. See, the devil will promise you the world. The devil will promise you royalty. But in actual fact, he's preparing you to feed pigs. And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that he fed the swine with, and no one gave him anything. 
And when he had come to himself, that's what repentance is. He came to himself. He said, how, off, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and I'm perishing here with hunger? You know what I'll do? I'll arise and go back to my father. And I'll say, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. He arose and came to his father. And he went. And while he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion on him. And ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to the father, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and I've sinned in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called one of your hired servants. I'm, I'm no longer, sorry, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son, but make me like one of your hired servants. The father said to his servants, go, see, he didn't even, he, didn't, he totally ignored his plea. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Totally ignored that. Why? Because grace, thank God for grace. Because grace overlooks some of our stupid statements and grace, God's mercy and grace has overlooked our unworthiness. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. That's true. We were no longer worthy to be called God's son. But grace and mercy overlooks our unworthiness and positions us in a, in a place that, um, that no man could have earned for himself. The father said to his servants, bring out, listen to this. This is what I want you to pay special attention to today. Bring out the best robe. Number one, bring out the best robe and put it on him. That signifies our righteousness in Christ. In Zechariah 3, it talks about a vision that Zechariah the prophet had. And in the vision, he saw Joshua, the high priest, coming before God. But the problem was is that he had garments that were defiled. He had garments and clothing that was stained, polluted, which represents our sin. That represented what sin did to the human race, that we had all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We did not have the garments necessary to come before the Father in cleanliness. We didn't have clean garments. We had been stained, polluted by the nature of sin. Put on the best robe. That's exactly what grace does. He takes off the old nature. The Bible says in Ephesians 4, we are to put off the old man. We are to put off the old nature. We are to put off the old reality of sin that we lived in and that we are to put on the new righteousness of Christ. Zechariah 3, God, when he was looking at Joshua, he saw him as one who had dirty garments. And Satan, the accuser of the brethren, was standing by, accusing Joshua before God day and night. And God spoke and said, shut up, Satan. Is this, is this not my brand that's been plucked from the fire? Meaning, didn't I rescue him? Meaning, yes, he has defiled his clothing and his garments with, with, with sin. But I've plucked him from the fire of sin. I've rescued him. From the dungeon cell of sin. I've taken him out of the miry clay. And he told the angel, go and remove this man's dirty garments and put on him a clean garment. Put on him a white robe. That is exactly what happened to us in Christ. He who knew no sin, Jesus, became sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. The very first thing that happens to you when you come to Christ is that he forgives, washes away, removes as far as the east, from, from, the east is from the west, the sin that made you 
that made the sin that made you impossible to look at, the sin that disconnected and separated you from God the Father, the very first thing that happens when you receive Christ is he takes off the reproach of sin. He takes off the guilt and condemnation of sin. He takes off the certificate of debt that was caused by the sin we committed. And he nails it to that wooden beam. And then he puts on the best robe. That represents our righteousness. So not only are we forgiven, but we are now made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And there's not one sin. This is important. This is very important to understand dominion. Because if you soak in sorrow in the condemnation of the guilt of your past, you're never going to step out in dominion because you're always going to feel like you're not worthy to dominate the devil. You're not worthy to have a lifestyle where you're reigning in life by Christ Jesus. You're not worthy to step out and have victory. I'm not worthy after what I've done. I'm just going to settle for the least. I'm going to settle for, I'm just going to make heaven. I'm going to settle for mediocrity. I'm going to settle for the, the, the crumbs when God has a, a massive loaf of his power available for you. Condemnation. And a guilt-ridden heart will get you to settle. We'll get you to just endure. We'll get you to just bear. We'll get you to just to just take it. Take the beating. That's why it's important. That's why I believe God put this right here in this story. To show you the full redemptive package that heaven's delivered you through the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. You have the best robe. You're clothed with the righteousness of Christ. You're not the old sinner. You. You've been saved by grace. You're now righteous even as he is righteous. And as such, the devil, see, if you, just had, if you still were unrighteous, if we were still unrighteous, if we still had sin, if we still were sinners, the devil would have every right to come in and, and plague and bully and torment us the same right he had when we were in sin and under his government and rule. We'd have no, light, no difference in our life from before Christ to after Christ if we were still truly positionally sinners. I'm not a sinner in Christ. I can't be a sinner in Christ any more than I can be a married bachelor. I'm either married or I'm a bachelor. I'm either a saint or I'm a sinner. I'm a saint. The Bible says we are called to be saints. And if you don't see yourself like that, the enemy is going to take advantage of that poor perception as to who you are. And he'll manipulate, harass, and keep you in that lasso and rope of lies. But I pray that the fire of God, by the truth of his word, will burn off that rope and chain of lies that the enemy set up over your mind. And that the system of God's truth, in light of the scriptures, will permeate and flood your mind from this day onward. Flood your heart with the truth of God's word. No matter what you've done, no matter what you did, no matter who you were before, no matter what you, what, what you accomplished in evil, the Bible says he remembers your sins and lawless deeds no more. He's taken off that old sinner nature that the body of sin, the Bible says, might be done away with and that he has clothed you with the robe of righteousness, a clean white robe. A white robe. A white robe. Hallelujah. Put the best robe on him. Number two, put a ring on his hand. Sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf here and kill it. 
I'm going to stay on number two today, and that's what we're going to focus on. Put a ring on his hand. Not only did God make you righteous in Christ Jesus, but the Bible says, number two, the Bible says the command the Father gave his servants was to put a ring on the Son's hand. That ring signifies a signet ring of authority. What do I mean by this? Genesis. I'm going to show you what this means. Genesis. Going back to the book of beginnings, Genesis 41, 37. Listen to this. So the advice was good in the eyes of Pharaoh and in the eyes of his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, can we find such a one as this, a man in whom is the spirit of God? And Pharaoh said to Joseph, inasmuch as God has shown you all this, there is none as wise as you. You, listen to this. This is Pharaoh speaking to Joseph now as he exalts him into a place of prominence in Egypt. You, Joseph, shall be over my house, over all my people, and all my people shall be ruled according to your word. Only in regard to the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, see, I've set you over all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring off his hand and put it on Joseph's hand. Highlight that in your Bibles. Pharaoh took his signet ring off his hand and put it on Joseph's hand. And he clothed them in garments of fine linen. What do you think this is? Right here, Joseph's rise to power, right here, is an example, a foreshadow, a type and shadow of what God was going to do to us through the finished work of Jesus Christ. He took his signet ring off his hand, put it on Joseph's hand, and clothed him with garments of fine linen. We just talked about that. The best robe that we've been clothed with, our righteousness, put a gold chain around his neck. And he had him ride in his second, ch second chariot, which he had, and they cried out before him, bow the knee. Hallelujah. Everybody say dominion. So he set him over all the land of Egypt. Pharaoh also said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and without your consent, no man will lift his hand or his foot up in all the land of Egypt. So here we see played out in real life that which was spoken of in parable in Jesus' ministry. Exactly what happens in redemption where God confers his signet ring of authority over over all the earth, to his people. Joseph, I have made you ruler over my house. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. God made us ruler over his earth when it comes to governing the affairs of what goes on in the spiritual realm. And all the people shall be ruled according to your word. Dominion confirms, confers rulership to you. Where you're not being ruled by the enemy, where you're not subject to his laws and his government and his commands and his instructions, where he's now ruled by you, you become a devil ruler. You shall be, you, all my people shall be ruled according to your word, only in regards to the throne will I be greater than you. That's God. And he took his signet ring off his hand, put it on Joseph's hand, clothed him in garments, and he said this, 
He had him ride in his second chariot, which he had. They cried out before him, bow the knee. Hallelujah. We're, we're seeing here, played out in real life, in Joseph's life, the very thing that actually happened to us when we received redemption and we were brought back no longer as strangers or foreigners, but as citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. God has given us the signet ring of his dominion on the earth so that every opposition or adversary, poverty, lack, mental torment, mental agony, depression, anxiety, marital conflicts, addiction, sin, bondage, any weaponry the enemy might have in his arsenal belt of weaponry. All those things have to bow because we carry the dominion mandate of heaven. They said, the Bible says that they went before the chariot saying, bow down, bow down. That's what dominion empowers the believer to have. Where the devil's bowing down and bowing out as you move forward unhindered, without delay, without resistance. You know, this is a real life that you can have. I live like this. I know it might sound because some of you might be like, well, I've been dealt a bad card in life, bad hand in life. I, I feel like I've not witnessed that. I don't feel like I've ever experienced that. Just because you've not experienced it does not mean it's not available to you. There was a time where I never experienced it until I caught this message, and now I experience it. I experience it. You know, there's some people that they're so devil conscious. They're so devil conscious, so clouded in confusion of seeing devils in everything that they've never had relief. They've never even expected a devil-free life. And I'm not saying the devil's never going to leave you alone. There's always going to be an attack. There's always going to be a challenge. But I'm talking about... Learning about this dominion today where you operate as if the devil were a non-issue. There's a lady that came to Bishop Oyedepo's church and she said, everywhere I go, there's praying mantises and flies and bugs that follow me. Just this, this swarm of bugs that follow her and it was getting in her hair and in her mouth and it was like demonic. She couldn't get away from it. And she said, everywhere I go, everywhere I go, there's just demons following me and chasing me. And he just told her, because they had met her outside of the church, he told her, you come to me. Come with me to my church. Come with me to my church and you'll find out that the power of light is greater than the power of darkness that's trying to overwhelm you. They, he said, I led her by the hand to my church, to where my church was. And there were bugs all around her head. And the moment she came onto the church grounds, the bugs just left. They had to stay at the door. They had to stay at the door. She came in for the service. She caught the light of the word of God. And then she left and those Bugs lost her address for good. Never came around her anymore. Totally eliminated. It all happened when she came under the understanding that she's, she's been created in Christ Jesus not to be uh, uh, tormented by demons, but to do the tormenting. You see, it was when she caught the light. She, and notice, the moment she came on the church grounds, the bugs left. Why? Because the power of darkness is never going to be able to prevail, arrest, or overcome the power of light. Light casts out, expels darkness. 
every day. And the dominion of light over darkness is instant and it's unquestionable. There was a guy, the, uh, David Oyedepo's cousin, that was stricken with insanity and didn't eat or sleep for four or five days, was insane. And they came to Bishop Oyedepo and said, Bishop Oyedepo, we need you to take care of our, our, our son, who was his cousin. We need you to pray for him. He said, I don't need to pray one bit. Bring him into my vehicle. So they put him into his vehicle and they took a little round, a lap around the, the neighborhood block. And by the time they got back, he was asleep and the insane spirit left the boy. He never even prayed. He just got around light. Hallelujah. He just got around light. And there, see, it's important. This dominion is available to you, but it's important to understand it, believe it, and learn to confess and walk in it if you're going to live it. You don't wish for dominion. You activate dominion. Paul told the Ephesians, I pray that the eyes of your understanding would be opened to see the surpassing greatness of God's power that's been made available towards you. It's one thing to talk about it. It's one thing to, 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 to read about it. It's one thing to, oh, I know that's in the Bible. You have to believe it. Bishop Boyd Apple believes it. He lives it. He drinks and sleeps it. And that's why he lives it. That's why it's become a reality to him. The Bible says the whole creation is awaiting the manifestation of the sons of God. Dominion is a manifestation of the sonship of those that have been redeemed. Awaiting the manifestation of the sons of God. You're a son of God. It's time you start to act like it. Jesus is a picture of how the son, the child and daughter of God is to operate on the earth. And you don't see Jesus battling demons everywhere you go. You see demons begging Jesus to leave them alone. And Jesus himself said in Luke chapter 10, 17 through 19, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning, and behold, I give you, you, power over unclean spirits and all the power of the devil to cast it out, and nothing shall by any means harm you. And he said, don't rejoice that the demons are subject to you. Rather rejoice because of this, because your names are written in the Lamb's book of life. If your name is written in the Lamb's book of life, who has dominion? Those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life have absolute, total, overcoming dominion over all the power of the devil, bar none. Those who are in Christ have been repositioned from far below to far above. I don't know what religious lie you've been fed your entire life. You just got to... Hope things turn out your way. Or you just leave it to chance. But that's not the message of the New Testament. Romans chapter 5, verse 17. For if by one man's offense, say, uh, Adam's sin, death reigned through the one. So it says death reigned, E-D, past tense. Death no longer reigns. Why? Hebrews 2.14 says, he who knew um, he, uh, just as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, Jesus also himself partook of the same. He took on flesh and blood that through his death, he might destroy him, the devil, that had the power of death and release us 
who through all our lifetime were subject to his bondage in the fear of death. Jesus took on flesh to die a sinner's death to destroy him, the devil, who had the power of death so that we can be released. So that death no longer reigns over, a lot, over us. That's why it says, death, where is your sting? Oh, um, oh, 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 grave, where is your victory? Death no longer reigns over me. Satan no longer reigns over me. Much more, if one man's offense, death reigned through the one, much more now those who received the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness, there we go again, talking about righteousness. Righteousness and your ability to dominate in life go hand in hand. Your understanding of righteousness and your understanding of dominion go hand in hand. If you are faulty in one area, you'll be faulty in the other area. So much more those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign hallelujah, shall reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. What does it say? It says those that were in sin, death reigns over those that are in sin. But those who have received righteousness, death no longer reigns over them. They now reign in life over the things that used to reign over us. Revelation chapter 5. Let me drill it even further. You are worthy. Verse 9. You are worthy to take the scroll. Open its seals. For you, Jesus, were slain and have redeemed us by God. Oh, sorry. Have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe, every tongue, every people, every nation. And Jesus made us kings and priests kings and priests to our God and we shall reign on the earth he has redeemed us from what the devil's reign of terror not only redeemed us from I wasn't just redeemed from the house of bondage I've redeemed I've been redeemed to something redeemed to what I have re been redeemed to be made a king and a priest First Peter chapter 2, verse 19, says we are a royal priesthood, a chosen generation, a holy nation, God's special possession, called where? Called out of darkness to proclaim his marvelous light. Notice how it says here, you were redeemed to God by his blood, by the blood of Jesus. Revelation chapter 12, verse 11. What does it say? They overcame the devil by the blood of the lamb. So we're seeing here. We're seeing the words overcome. We're seeing the words reign over. We're seeing the word dominate. I don't know where people got it from. Where there's this notion that we are less than or inferior to our adversary. I want to make this clear to you. There's only one strict scripturally acknowledged enemy in the entire Bible. There's only one scripturally acknowledged adversary from Genesis to Revelation. It is the devil that prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. But that should encourage you today. 
We wrestle not against flesh and blood. It's not a human that's at the other end of that battle. There might be some legal procedure you're going through and you feel like it's the, op the opposing lawyer that's trying to make your life a living hell. It's not the lawyer. It's not your boss. It's not your mother-in-law. It's not some family member. There's only one scripturally acknowledged enemy and it is the devil that comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But that should make you feel happy today in light of what we just read. Because though there is an enemy, there, there is a devil that prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Though there is, the Bible says, the prince of darkness that operates in darkness. You are not in darkness. You are in light. You've been translated into a kingdom of light. And we just read that devil, that enemy is not eye to eye with us, not over our head. He's under our feet. We reign over him. He's subject to us. I pray that if God can do one thing on this broadcast today, it is to get you out of that inferiority complex that you've had towards the devil and towards his kingdom and his demons and give you a superiority complex where a boldness rises up within you to start speaking that I am ahead and not the tail. I am above and not beneath. And the devil in the hierarchy of things is at the bottom of the food chain. Hallelujah. So, who has dominion? Those that are in Christ. John 1, 12. As many as received Jesus, to them gave he power to become children of God. Power. There's power in being a Christian. I don't know where we got it from. Where being a Christian is equal to, to being stepped on, to being some pacifist. I don't see weak people in the book of Acts. I don't see God raising up weak people in the book of Acts. I don't see the apostles being fearful. I see the apostles being feared. I see, you know, you read of Paul and Silas going to Lystra. And the Bible says when they performed a miracle there, the entire region that had never been exposed to the gospel, who were given over to the worship of mythological creatures, Zeus and Hermes, they came to Paul and Silas and said, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. They saw Paul and Silas as gods. Paul and Barnabas, sorry. They saw Paul and Barnabas as gods in the likeness of men. Do you understand Psalm 82.6? Psalm 82.6. I'm going to read it. I'm not just going to quote it because some people are going to think, there's no way that's in the Bible. This guy's a heretic. Psalm 82.6. Listen to this. They don't know. Verse 5. They do not know, nor do they understand. They walk about in darkness, and all the foundations of the earth are unstable. I said, ye are gods. Little g. Little g. Very important. I said, ye are gods. And all of you are children of the Most High God. But you will die like men. And you will fall like one of the princes. What is God saying here? He starts off in verse 5 by saying, They don't know, neither do they understand. So if you are ignorant to what I'm saying today, if you are ignorant to your position that God has made you to be in redemption, if you are ignorant of your authority as a believer, if you are ignorant... Of the life of God in you, you will walk in darkness. And all the earth and all the things pertaining to your life will be unstable, the Bible says. The Bible says 
Because of the ignorance of their heart, they have been alienated from the life of God that is in them. You have the life of God in you. You have the keys of authority given to you. You have the dominion power of faith alive on the inside of you. But if you are ignorant to this fact, or if you've just heard about it once upon a time, but you don't live in the reality and the awareness of it day after day, hour after hour, the Bible says, even though God has said, I have said you are gods, little g, that word gods in the Hebrew is divinely empowered ones. It means those that have received divine nature. Second Peter 1 4 says you have received the divine nature of God on the inside of you. So he's talking to you. He said ye are gods and all of you are children of the most high but because you're ignorant because you chose to believe some watered down western chewed up polluted twisted perverted tampered with religiously biased word and teaching, you are going to die like other men and you are going to fall like one of the princes. Even though you have all these great and precious promises available to you, the Bible says, he that wanders from the way of understanding will rest in the assembly of the dead. He that wanders, Proverbs 21, 16, he that wanders from the way of understanding will rest in the assembly of the dead. You know what that means? It means even though the cross has brought deliverance to you, if you still think of yourself as one who can be bound, you will stay bound. If you still think of yourself as one who can be arrested by the devil, you will stay arrested by the devil. If you still think of yourself as one who can get sick, you will get sick because you have wandered from the way of understanding the covenant reality that's been given to you. I have said you are gods. All of you are children of the Most High God. All of you have access to the same table of blessing. I have prepared a table before you in the presence of my enemies. But I feel the Lord speaking to some of you today. Even though I've prepared a table before you in the presence of my enemies, you have been, you have been in fear of the enemy instead of feasting on my table. You have been in fear of the demon instead of feasting on my deliverance. You have been in fear. I've prepared a table before you in the presence of my enemies, but you're so conscious of the presence of the enemies, you haven't even taken time to sit down and see what's on the table. I've said you are gods, all of you are children of the Most High God, but you're going to die like men. You'll fall like other people. You might be in this world, but you're not of this world. You're born from above, which leads me to my next point. I got five points here. I'm going to go through them. I'm going to breeze through them. Why do we have dominion? So we know who has dominion. Those that are born again into the kingdom of God. But why do we have dominion? You know, I quoted before John 1, 12, to as many as received Christ to them, gave he power to become children of God. And Jesus was the blueprint as to how a child of God is to operate. So if you want to see God's will for your life, look at Jesus. If you want to see how God wants you to operate, look at Jesus. And I just see Jesus everywhere the sole of his foot treading on was land that God was giving over to him. I just see Jesus occupying everywhere he went. I see Jesus expelling demons from regions. I see Jesus 
operating as if the devil were a non-issue. I see Jesus having command over financial, the financial realm. I see Jesus having command over, over his mind. He wasn't insane. He wasn't, you know, he wasn't rocky. He, 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 was, he was very stable-minded. He had peace like no other. I see Jesus healing the sick, not getting sick. So you see this dominion. So you want to see God's will as to how the dominion mandate is to manifest through your life. You look at Jesus. But why do we have dominion? Why should we have confidence that we have dominion today? Why should we even be convinced of this dominion? What scriptures are you going to give me, TJ, that's going to prove that I have this dominion? Number one, number one, why do we have dominion? Because one, we're seated in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 2 says, We who were dead in sins and trespasses have been made alive together with Christ Jesus. We were raised up. That talks about salvation. But then we were made to be seated with Christ in heavenly places. I'm seated in Christ Jesus in heavenly places. The Bible says that Satan had his rear end cast out of heaven and there's no more place found for him in heaven. Well, we just I just quoted, where are we? In heavenly places. And where we're at, the devil has no access to. John 3.31 says, those who are born from above are above all. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Why should we have dominion over the things that dominate people of this earth? Because you are born from above. You were born firstly in this earth, but you were crucified with Christ and raised up with Christ. And now you're born from above your citizenship is in heaven and John 3:31 says those that are born from above are above all above all above all you have to see sickness as below you you have to see poverty as below you you have to see defeat and failure as below you i'm above those things I'm above those things. You know, there's a lot of people that think they have to go through these things. But Jesus proved that you can live above those things. You know, in Moses' day, when he split the Red Sea, the Israelites went through the sea. In Elijah's day, when he split the Jordan River, he walked through the river. When Jesus showed up and the water was preventing him from getting to the other side. He didn't split the water. He didn't split the lake. He walked on the water. Hallelujah. That was a picture that on the old covenant, the best they can do was get through it. But under the new covenant, God wants you to walk above it because you're born from above, a citizen of heaven, seated in Christ Jesus, far above principalities, far above any type of uh, power, far above any type of authority or dominion that may be named in this life and also in the life to come. Hallelujah. Number one, why do we have dominion? Because we're seated far above all these things. Anything that would harass a normal human being can no longer harass me because where I dwell, those things have no access to. Think of it. Is there sickness in heaven? No. I am dwelling. I, I, the Bible says I'm in heavenly places already. Yes, my body, my be here but in my position is that of being in Christ Jesus in heavenly places so be, whatever can't be named in heaven can no longer be named in my life hallelujah whatever cannot be named in heaven can no longer be named in my life number two why can we have dominion because we are grafted in Christ we are grafted what does it mean to be grafted it means to be fused together it means we've been connected it means we are connected. It means that like when they would graft a branch into a tree, they would take a branch that was broken off, 
They would make an, uh, a, a, a cut and a shape off that cut, and then they will take the vine, the tree core, the, 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 the actual tree itself, and they'll make a little hole, an incision in the, in the tree. It's exactly what was happening when Jesus, they pierced his side. Hallelujah. Man, I'm about to say something that's going to blow your mind. When Adam was created and God wanted to take, uh, to, to cause the human race to continue, he had Adam sleep and he made an incision on his side and he removed a rib. And from that rib, he made Eve so that the human race can continue. So from Adam's rib comes the human race. When Jesus was pierced on his side, from Adam's side came the first Adam and the human race in sin. When Jesus was pierced from his side and blood and water flowed out, God was giving birth to a supernatural race. Through the last Adam, Jesus Christ, hallelujah. The first Adam came through Adam's, the first Adam, the first race came through, a natural race came through Adam's rib. The supernatural race came through Jesus' side when he was pierced through, when he was pierced through. You know what happened when he was pierced through? Just like a tree has to be an incision be made so that they can take the branch and put it in, put it into that tree stump so that it can receive the life and the DNA and the nature of that, that tree so that the branch can begin to produce fruit again after the likeness of the tree. Jesus had an incision on his side so that we, the wild, diseased branch, could be grafted into Christ, hallelujah, to receive the life, the nature, the power, and the very DNA of Jesus Christ. John 15, 1, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me. Abide. Graft yourself in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in, in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, Jesus is saying you are the branches he who is grafted in me and I in him bears much fruit for without me you can do nothing if anyone does not abide in me he's cast out as a branch and is withered and they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned but if you will abide in me and my words abide in you you'll ask whatever you desire and it shall be done for you Romans chapter 11 Romans chapter 11 so we see this mystery of engraftment here in John 15, and it continues in Paul's revelation in Romans. Romans chapter 11, the Bible says, For if the first fruit is holy, the lump is also holy. And if the root is holy, so also are the branches. And if some of the branches were broken off, and you, being a wild olive tree, were grafted in among them, and with them, hallelujah. Everybody write this down in the comment section. I am grafted into Christ. I am grafted into Christ. I am grafted into Christ. If them being a wild olive, if you being a wild olive tree were grafted in among them, the root being Jesus, and with them, get this, become a partaker of the root and the fatness of the olive of the olive tree. Hallelujah. We have become a partaker of the root and the fatness, the blessing, fatness always 
refers to blessing and power, the fatness of the olive tree. When we were grafted into Christ, we became a partaker of his divine nature. And we are now recipients of his life so that the life of Jesus. See, when you understand this, how could you stay sick one day? You realize that if I'm grafted in to Christ, who in whom there's no sickness or disease, and it's not my disease that overpowers his health, it's his health that overpowers my disease. It's not my weakness that overtakes his strength. It's his strength that overtakes my weakness. That's why Paul said that we, we, I'd rather boast in my infirmities because where I am weak, then I am strong. Paul, the one who said in Colossians 1 that Jesus is the head of all principality and power, but we, we are connected to him. Listen to this, Colossians 1. Let me read it verbatim. Colossians 2, sorry. In him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, speaking of Jesus, and you are complete in him. You are connected in him who is the head over all principality and power. So it says all of the treasure of God's power, wisdom, and riches are in Christ, but we are complete in him. Hallelujah. See yourself that way. Do you understand that those who are joined to the Lord have become one spirit with him? I'm engrafted with Christ. Whatever doesn't run through Christ no longer runs through me. Whatever Christ cannot suffer with, I cannot suffer with. I cannot suffer with it. I'm grafted into Christ. I've, I feed off his body and I fed off his blood and I have his life now in me. John 6. Why do we have dominion? Number three, we've been translated into a higher kingdom. Colossians 1, 12 and 13 says, we have been transferred out of the dominion of darkness and into the kingdom of light in whom we have redemption by his blood and the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. So we have been translated out of the domain or government of darkness. Think of this. When you move from a, a nation to another nation, if you move from Uganda to Canada tomorrow, Whatever rules and legislations that apply to the Ugandan people no longer apply to you. When we were in sin, we were subject to the country of sin. We read that in Luke 15, the country of sin. The country of sin is characterized by poverty, lack, sickness, disease, torment, affliction, tragedy, trial, constant pressure, anxiety, distress, and despondency. That's what the kingdom of sin is characterized by. The Bible says we were under the rule of the prince of the power of the air. The president of the nation of sin is Satan himself. But when you got redeemed, the Bible makes it clear in Colossians 1.13 that we were delivered from we were set free. We were emancipated. We came out as refugees from this nation of sin, and whom is the president called Satan, and we have come in to the kingdom of light, the kingdom of God's dear son. So whatever legislation, the Bible talks about in Romans 8 verse 2, 
that the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set us free from the law of sin and death. In the, the nation of sin, with President Satan, there are laws of sin that produce death. And the people under that rule of terror are subject to it. They're hopeless. Outside of Christ, there's no hope to be set free from that law of sin and death. There's no hope to break free from it. The rules, the rule system, and the, the legislative laws that govern that kingdom are implemented whether they want subject to those things or not. Those laws roam and run freely without any opportunity to contend it. If you are in sin, not saved, you are subject to those laws and there's no contestation. There's no way out. But the Bible says he has transferred us out of the laws of sin and death by the spirit of life in Christ Jesus into a new kingdom where there's new laws. So why do we have dominion? Let me make this clear to you. Colossians chapter 3. Sorry, Colossians chapter 2. Verse 20. If you died with Christ from the basic principles of this world, the basic laws of this world, why as though living in this world do you subject yourself again to the same regulations? If you have died with Christ from the basic principles of this world, why as though living in this world are you subjecting yourself to its regulations again? Jesus died to set you free from the laws of sin and death that govern and rule the fallen nature of those that are, that, that, that are the unredeemed. But the Bible says we died with Christ so we can no longer be subject to those regulations anymore. Hallelujah. That means the things that dominated you no longer can dominate you from this day onward. That means the things that used to be an object of concern no longer are an object of concern anymore. That means that devil who rules as the prince of darkness, because I've come into the kingdom of light, he, you know, Jesus said, the prince of this world cometh, but he has nothing in me. Because we belong to Christ and are in his kingdom, he has nothing in us any longer. I want to get that through your thick noggin today. The prince of this world can come, but he has nothing in me. I saw someone yesterday saying, uh, pray. Beyonce's coming to North Carolina. Pray. She's going to be casting spells and hexes on the region. Pray? You think I'm going to worry about Destiny Child over here? You think I'm going to worry about Little Witch? You think I'm going to worry about... Do you honestly think I'm going to waste one second of prayer worrying about some pop culture Hollywood star? Do you think that, do you know, I'll tell you a story. There was a, 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 a missionary back in the 1900s. She was a 21-year-old missionary girl. And she went to, uh, I think she was in the Philippines. And she was down in some regions oh no it wasn't the philippines it was an african area because she was she had come to a tribe and she was trying to win them over to the lord and when word got around that there was this missionary in town the chief warlock the chief warlock 
rose up and came to the city center, found where she was. She was trying to win some people to the Lord in the local marketplace, and he challenged her publicly and said, this is my territory. This is my territory. What are you doing here? And she said, I've come to preach the gospel to these people. And he said, I am the chief warlock. If you want to stay here, let's have like a challenge. Next, she's uh, tomorrow at, at, I think it was 4 p.m. Tomorrow at 4 p.m., I want to meet back here in the city center at the marketplace. And we're going to have a contestation of power. And whoever shows more power will have a right to remain. She agreed, but not knowing anything of what I'm telling you right now. The Lord had to teach her later on. But she agreed. The next day, she shows up, and she's, she had prayed the whole night. She had fasted. She didn't know what the heck she was gonna, what, what, what going to do. And so that day, the chief warlock comes up, and all the town is surrounded. I mean, you think of it. If you fail here, you got to pack your bags and go home a failure because they ain't going to buy your message. You, these people wanted to see power. And if the warlock showed more power than that missionary girl, the, other, the people would not have given her an, a minute of their attention. So what happens? The chief warlock gets up. And calls the attention of all the people. The whole city comes around them. And he explains what's about to happen. A, a modern day Mount Carmel experience. And the warlock says, I will go for it first. So he lies on the ground. And while he's on the ground, he shuts his eyes. And he stiffens up like a board. And then all of a sudden, his body starts to lift off. Starts to lift off the ground. And the whole crowd... We're astonished, just like Simon the great sorcerer. They were astonished at the great, uh, the, the great show of magic that he used to show. Because the devil has lying signs and wonders. And so all the people were astonished. And all the people uh, revered that warlock. And after that lady, that missionary, saw that happen, she said, well, goodness gracious, I've got my work cut out for me. There's no way. There's not even a scripture I can stand on that I can beat that what am i gonna do there's no scripture that promises you to fly or whatever nor does god want to mimic the devil's magic tricks so she started to worry and said holy spirit you got to give me an answer here i don't know what to do you know what the lord said go to that man right now take your right foot up put it on his chest and slam him to the ground and she went a little timid and shy, but she went nevertheless, grabbed her leg, put it right on his chest and pushed down. And the man, when he got to the ground, he snapped out of this trance. Boom. His eyes came open. He got up and he didn't know where he was. And he asked everyone, where, what am I doing here? Where, where, where am I? For 11 years or 12 years, that man had obviously gotten into some sort of permanent trance with the devil so that he was unaware of where he's been or what he's been doing the last 12 years and when that little tiny missionary girl came and put his put her foot on that man it not only dismantled whatever show of power that he was attempting to display to the people but it snapped that man and ex out of that trance and expelled whatever demon had taken hold of 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 um, of his life and that was the show of power that got the entire village to come behind that missionary girl. They voted her to be the deputy mayor 
of the entire village. She went from having to, I needed to, she needed to secure some sort of influence with the people and she wanted to get on their side to, because of one display of dominion power towards that warlock, she became the chief mayor of the town and had the ear of everybody. She planted a church there and then from that main plant, she actually started a series of churches throughout the entire tribal regions in that entire nation. And they had an experience, a move of God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You know what she understood at that moment? She has a higher power. She's been translated to a higher kingdom. And as such, we have a higher power and a higher authority. Number four, why do we have authority and dominion? Because we're filled with the Holy Ghost. 1 John 4, 4. Don't be afraid of evil spirits, for greater is he that lives in you than he that is in the world. The Holy Ghost clothes you with a supernatural power that it facilitates your dominion on the earth. Know ye not that you are the temple of the Holy Ghost, the same spirit that Jesus said, I cast out spirits or demons by the spirit of God. That same spirit is in you that gives you power over all the power of the devil. The same spirit, not junior Holy Ghost. It's the same Holy Ghost that lives in you. The greater one lives in you. Not the less than one. Not the equal one. The greater one lives in you, making you greater than any demon power that's in this world. Acts 1.8, you shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. The devil answers to one, one language and one language only, and it's the language of power. And the Holy Ghost is the one that bestows power on you. The Bible says he's not a spirit of fear, but he's a spirit of power. Spirit of power, of love, and of a sound mind. I want you to write that in the comment section. I've got Holy Ghost power. I've got Holy Ghost power. I've got Holy Ghost power. If Elijah, under the old covenant, who had the Holy Spirit upon him, was able to cast out devils and was able to... Um, to call fire down from heaven to consume his enemies that were trying to suffocate and destroy him. Us having the Holy Ghost not upon us, but within us, we got way more right, way more right to victory than Elijah ever had. Number four, filled with the Holy Ghost. Number five, this is important, we carry the blessing of Abraham. Abraham was one man, and yet he dominated every sector of society in his day. He dominated every sector of society in his day. Galatians 3 says, we've been redeemed from the curse of the law and have come into the blessing of Abraham. And part of that blessing is the ability to, the ability to dominate in a wicked world. Think of it. There were no Christians in Abraham's day. There were no believers in Abraham's day. He was the father of the faith. And Abraham, as the first one to put his faith, his faith in God and what God was going to do through the seed that he would bring forth. In Isaac shall your seed be named. And in you all the seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Abraham, in a world where there were no other Christians, was not making excuses about governments or, did you hear what the Philistines are plotting? Did you hear what Abimelech is doing? Did you hear what they just passed into law. He wasn't making any excuses. Abraham walked in, the, in an authorized dominion from heaven that empowered him to be at the top. That's what dominion does. Dominion repositions you to be at the top. 
in every sector of society. Abraham was at the top financially. Abraham was at the top in even in, in, in terms of war. He had 318 men, wasn't more than any other army. He actually had far less soldiers. Yet, because of this dominion power that was on his life by the blessing that God put on his life, by 318 trained men, he was able to subdue, to subdue a king and rescue Lot and receive the spoil of war. Hallelujah. Abraham wasn't making excuses about what was against him. Abraham understood who was for him and the dominion he carried because of that blessing that was bestowed on his life. You have that blessing. Quit making excuses. Start to become aware of your identification with Christ and what that means. Start to become aware of the redemptive reality. Start to become aware of what the redemptive work of Calvary has produced for you. You're blessed with believing Abraham. And as Abraham moved forward unhindered, and everything he touched prospered, everything he touched grew, everything he touched flourished, that no man was able to stand before him all the days of his life. Everywhere he went was land that God gave him. He said, lift up your eyes, Abraham. Look to the left. Look to the east. Look to the west. Look, look everywhere. As far as your eye can see, that's land that you'll dominate in. Hallelujah. That Abrahamic covenant and blessing has been conferred on you. Stop saying, I'm just like everyone else. You're not like everyone else. You might be in this world, but you're not of this world. You're born from above. You're born from above. You're a royal priesthood. You're a child of Abraham. You carry the potential Abraham carried. The potential to be a nation in one man. Where other nations, where Philistines envied him. Where the Philistines were afraid of him. Where the Philistines were, were making sure they never got in his way. Hallelujah. I tell you in the name of Jesus Christ. From today onward, the devil will make sure he does not get in your way. The devil will make sure that he steps off your path. From today, you know, I talked about how the Holy Ghost makes you uh, one who carries real dominion on the earth. You know, the Holy Ghost is like a bulldozer. It, he just flattens everything. He just flattens everything in his way. He makes every crooked place straight. He just flattens every mountain, makes it level. Well, when the Holy Ghost is in you and God sends you out by the Spirit of God, you carry that same capacity to flatten every obstacle, every mountain, and every devil that might stand in your way. In the name of Jesus Christ, though the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one, the wicked one not only will not be able to touch you, but in Jesus' name, he's going to keep arm's distance from your life from this day onward. In Jesus' name. The devil's going to lose your address. Your devil, the devil is going to lose your address for good. So who has dominion? If your name's written in the Lamb's book of life, and you feel like you're the pinky toe in the body of Christ. You're still within the body. And the devil, last I checked, is not under the knees of Jesus. The last time I checked, the devil's not under his chin. The devil is under his 
feet. And if you feel like you're the pinky toe of the body of Christ, the devil is under your feet. If you were born again last night, if you got saved last week at church, the devil is under your feet. You don't have to go through the gymnastics of playing religion. You don't have to jump through six hoops. You don't have to work your way up on the hierarchical ladder of things. The moment you receive Christ, then in that moment, God gives you power to become a child of God. And I tell you, the whole of creation, the world is awaiting the manifestations of the dominion sons of God on the earth. The devil does not know what's about to transpire on this earth where the sons and daughters of God are going to rise up like never before seen in all of the history of the church to take ground, to take ground. To take ground. It's time for you to manifest your sonship. It's time for you to manifest who you are in Christ to your generation. It's time to make noise on the earth again. It's time for the church to rise up to its place of prominence. And this is the message. This is the message that's going to allow that to happen. The whole Western thought of, how many of you know we're just nothing? How many of you know? We're just wretched things. How many of you know we're weak? No, we're not. Let the weak say I'm strong. Not weak. I'm strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. God would not make a weak new creation. God would not make a feeble new creation. God made a dominion-mandated, power-packed new creature. Whose creature you are? Stay connected with us by visiting us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook by searching at TJ Malkanji. Or visit us online, www.salvationnow.ca. God bless you, and until next time.